Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. From KQED. I'm Sasha Coca, and this is the California Report magazine. Nine one one, state emergency. How do you respond under pressure? We're at Wagner's campground, and it uh-huh. seems like there's a fire south uh, by where the lake is. When you find yourself in an unimaginable situation, which which lake are you at, sir? Cool, is Cool Lake. Do you stay calm? Do you see flames from where you are right now? Every In every direction, yes. Focused? How many, approximately how many people are down there, approximately? I want to say 150 to 200 people. But we have burn, burn victims, and we have a girl that's severely burned. When does that tough veneer start to give way? We are literally, we have people running to the lake, like on foot, running to the lake as fast as they can because there's fire everywhere. To fear. There's fire on both sides of the truck. There's no we're driving through the fire. We're driving through the fire. <laughs> and panic. Get in, get in, get in, get in, get in, get in. And what do you do when there's only one way to survive? Then you have to get out and you have to run to the lake. Just get in the water, and that's the best you're going to be able to do, okay? That's the open to a new podcast from KVPR, the public radio station for Fresno and Central California. It's called Escape from Mammoth Pool. Over Labor Day weekend in 2020, the historic, fast-moving Creek Fire tore through remote stretches of the Sierra Nevada, northeast of Fresno, trapping nearly 250 people at a lake. This podcast sheds light on the human impact of wildfires and what it takes in the era of climate change to launch a successful large-scale rescue from a massive forest fire in the Sierra. Today, we're going to be sharing parts of that podcast and talking with reporter Carrie Klein. She spent a year interviewing survivors and rescuers and listening to the kind of 911 tape that you just heard. She also spent a lot of time poring over government documents and data to piece together what happened. Hi, Carrie. Hello, Sasha. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, and we should say that you, many moons ago, were an intern for the California Report. Yeah. Let's back up to before those 911 calls started pouring in from Mammoth Pool. This was Labor Day weekend of 2020. 
And the story begins about 24 hours earlier. As we know, this was around six months into the pandemic. But these folks, a lot of them get together every year here at this campground. And this was an opportunity to gather outside, you know, have some sense of normalcy like they do every year. There were hundreds of people just camping, you know, and having fun at, uh, at this lake called Mammoth Pool Reservoir. And one of those was Carla Carcamo. We have a family tradition. For Carla, the long weekend meant one thing, huge family party, like really huge. Most of it is my family and family that it's invited family. And those family friends have invited friends of theirs. I'm telling you, we have over 200 people. Cousins, aunts and uncles, babies, grandparents, co-workers with tents, RVs, lights, music, beer and food. So much food. And to even tell you, we had a griddle that we use uh, because we have pupusa night. We're Salvadorian. <laughs> Most of Carla's family lives near Los Angeles. She's in Northridge. It takes about six hours to get to Mammoth Pool, but they keep coming back year after year after year. Yeah, my family has been going there every year for the past 17 plus years. Being there, let me tell you, it's like a little piece of paradise. Carrie, tell us about Mammoth Pool. I lived in Fresno for so many years, but I, I never actually visited. It looks a lot like any other Sierra Nevada lake, you know, sparkling water, thick forests. It's very isolated. There's one highway in and out. When you drive in, you hit the campground first. And then there's this winding two-mile drive on a narrow dirt road that dead ends at the lake. The campground where most of these families were staying is huge. It can fit hundreds of people. It's called officially, you know, Mammoth Pool Campground. But everyone calls it Wagner's Campground because it's right next to Wagner's store. And what do people go there to do? They can be loud and party and celebrate with big families or groups of friends. There are places to day hike. And there's also this off-roading club that comes here every Labor Day. They have ATVs, they have quads, they ride jet skis. And that's largely what people were doing that Friday. And then that night, many folks told me they had this big feast. They had barbecue ribs, carne asada. But of course, what they didn't know is that right at dinner time, 10 miles away, the creek fire ignited. And around 1 a.m., Carla and her cousin went to use the bathroom and they spotted this glow on a hillside far off in the distance. It wasn't a big fire that we saw, but you could see the red-orange spark. Kind of like a campfire, but high up on a hillside. They decided to call 911. 911. We're at Wagner's campground and it uh -huh. looks like there's a fire south uh, by where the lake is. At that point, the Creek Fire was only six hours old, just a few hundred acres in size and more than 10 miles away. So it's no surprise the Madera County employee who answered didn't seem to know what they were talking about. Are you seeing a campfire or are you seeing a forest no, fire? It, it, it looks like an actual forest fire. Where was it? to the north, the south, before the lake, or beyond it. Eventually, the dispatcher got all he needed, and the call ended. So Carla and her cousin went to sleep, shaken, but relatively reassured that the fire wasn't coming for them that weekend. 
But everything had changed by the next morning, right? Right. And then this is where we meet Alex Tedamonti and her husband, Raul Reyes. They're members of that off-roading group that I mentioned that comes every Labor Day weekend. So when I woke up, I did notice it was kind of cloudy. The sun was kind of like orange color. The sky was orange and there was ash, like big pieces of asphalt. And Alex, at breakfast, she made a prophetic joke. And I said, like, the most regrettable thing I think I'll ever say in my whole life. It was her 31st birthday, and she blames the mimosas. I said, if there's anything here that you think is important, you better take pictures of it for insurance before you go on this hike. Looking back at it, I can't believe that came out of my mouth. So were they starting to get worried at this point? I mean, Alex clearly had an inkling that something bad could happen. But were there any official warnings from the authorities? No, there weren't. And so many of them just continued with their day. Alex, Raul, and their off-roading club, they took off on a hike. But as they're on this hike, they're beginning to see spot fires on hillsides. Um, Smoke is starting to blow over them and come closer. And by the time they finish their hike, it's clear that something is wrong. And so they hop into trucks and they all rush back to the campground. As they drove the windy 10 minutes back to the campsite, the patches of fire began closing in. Across the lake, a chilling sight. There was people camping I guess all through here. So now we're seeing them like... Tearing around the lake. Yeah, and the trailer and all going probably, I don't know, 50, 60, I don't know. They were almost like they're escaping the fire themselves. Those folks probably made it home, but Alex and Raul were too late. Within minutes, they and the others would find out that they were stranded with only one way to go. Around this time, the Creek Fire was already creating its own weather system enormous plumes of smoke known as pyrocumulonimbus formations that looked like volcanic eruptions. They shot so high into the atmosphere that airplane passengers were snapping stunning photos of them over the wings. So back down at the campground, where is Carla, the woman who was there with the large family gathering and the pupusas at that point? So they were, you know, just kind of relaxing together. You know, there was there was still smoke blowing over them, but they really were expecting that if they were in immediate danger, they would hear from some sort of authorities that they had to get out. But then, of course, things really become real a little after lunchtime when Carla heads back to her tent. I remember looking to my left and I looked up and carrying The fire was on the mountain top. You could see the fire. You could see the flame. She ran back and grabbed her aunts and uncles, everyone who was still at the creek. And then by the time we got up from the water and like we headed to the campground, one of the people that worked for the Wagner store, she looked frantic. And she was just saying, we gotta go. She's like, this is not a drill. She goes like, everybody evacuate. And then me, being me, I stopped her and I said, hey, I said, how long do we have to pack? And she kind of looked at me like, oh, you're dumb, you know, like, why are you asking me that? Why was Carla hesitating at this point if she knew that they had to get out? Unfortunately, her siblings and some of her cousins were missing. So they had gone hiking earlier that morning to a waterfall and they hadn't yet gotten back to the campground. And so they stalled, but the fire was approaching and ultimately the decision was made for them. 
all I heard was like a, like a snap. It was a tree coming down. And then like a And it just hit the floor. I ran. I have no idea how I ran that fast. It was a crystallizing moment because as much as Carla ached for her brother and sister, other people had been accounted for. Carla's parents, young cousins, a disabled aunt. For their sakes, it was time to go. We had to. We had to leave them because it was either you stay and you burn up or you go and you leave them. I don't remember if I was crying just because I wanted to not do that for my mom. But I do, I, me in my head, I just kept saying, the Lord is our shepherd. <laughs> and I couldn't remember the whole prayer. <laughs> All I kept saying is, the Lord is our shepherd. He will protect us. Nothing's going to happen to us. I said, God is great. God is with us. And I was just trying to, like, control my, my emotions, you know? Okay, so as Carla is going through this, can we just zoom out a little bit? Tell me what is happening at this point with the fire that these campers don't even know about. By breakfast time on Saturday morning, the fire was just 600 acres in size, according to the Forest Service. But seven hours later, it was 45,000 acres in size. And so that's why it was able to sneak up on the campground and block this road before officials could wrap their head around it. So at this point, is this when all these campers just start calling 911 like crazy, just flooding the emergency hotlines? Yes, exactly. And at this point, the dispatchers are just telling them, really, the only way to go is to the lake where the road dead ends and where they could get in the water if need be. So one of those calls was by Alex Tedamonti, who we met earlier. She called from the passenger seat of their pickup truck while her husband, Raul, was driving them to the lake. And as you can hear, when the call started, she was calm. We're trying to leave the area. We're trapped. Um, We are literally, we have people running to the lake, like on foot, running to the lake as fast as they can because there's fire everywhere. She laid out the situation. There's just a lot of kids. How many? Families. We have over 30 families here. Do you see flames from where you are right now? Every, in every direction, yes. The dispatcher told Alex what they already knew, that the only safety would be at the water. But she stayed on the line, letting Alex talk and reminding her to breathe. Traffic began moving again. And as they wound their way through smoke and embers, Alex found another focus. She and Raul began to pick up passengers in their Dodge truck. Hikers who were bursting out of trails or running along the road. Hop on, hop on. Hop on if you need to, hop on. Alex crawled onto the front center console and they crammed into the cab, piled into the truck bed and hung on to the open doors. All this as flames closed in. At one point, the truck even crawled over part of a tree that had fallen across the road. How many people do you have in your car? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. I don't even know how many people yeah, are in the back of my truck. Just get as many people as you can. I'm sure this is against the law. <laughs> against the law? Alex even cracked a joke. But she got tense again. She could feel the heat from the flames inside the truck. 
And suddenly, after eight minutes, the call dropped out. Oh, God. Oh, shit. This whole thing's on fire. Alex? You know, what a lot of people told me was that this drive, which was only two miles, normally takes around 10 minutes, that it just felt like an eternity for folks. Some people decided that running was faster. They would just abandon their cars in the middle of the road and just take off on foot. Hikers were pouring out onto the road from the woods, you know, to frantically catch rides from people driving by. And then, of course, this is also when sometimes families were separated. Parents would be separated from kids as they were fleeing to the lake. That is my worst nightmare. I I can't even imagine. So it seems like most of these campers figured out they weren't going to be able to get out on the main road, and they found themselves down at the lake. What was the scene like there at this point? Amazingly, there was actually a lot of space at the lake because the water levels were low. So many folks, they took refuge in the water, um, but also many others, like Alex, they stayed in their cars and just blasted the air conditioning to stay safe. It was kind of light when we had first gotten there and we were like finding where to park. And then all of a sudden, like the sky went black. That's when it really felt like the true fire was coming through. You could feel and hear the wind whipping across the vehicle. You could hear and see the embers flying everywhere, hitting trucks and trailers and stuff like that that were all parked at the lake and just like exploding. But she felt safe in her truck away from the tree line. She began to wonder how long they'd be here and if they had enough food. Meanwhile, Carla couldn't sit still. She paced from car to car, checking in on relatives, keeping herself busy. If she stopped to think, she'd remember the hikers, including her brother and sister, still hadn't emerged from the flames. Time passed by, I don't know, I want to say like an hour, an hour and a half, two hours. And every time more time passed by, it was like, I lost more hope. I lost more hope of them coming. So around the same time that everyone was gathering at the lake, a very important text message was sent 150 miles away. And that message was sent to Joseph Rosamond. He was sitting at his home in Manteca. He's a chief warrant officer with the California Army National Guard. So the text message was looking for volunteers for a wildfire rescue needed in the Sierra. He was interested, but he did have to check with someone very important first, his five-year-old son. They had plans to play video games together that afternoon. And I was like, hey, man, there's... There's all these people that are trapped, you know, there's fire coming at them and, and dad needs to go uh, help them out. You think you can, you can let me go. And, and he was cool about it, you know, and it's like, yeah, dad, go ahead. I'll, you know, I'll see you later. His wife and daughter gave their thumbs up too. And so Chief Rosamond started packing. Meanwhile, there was a whole other rescue mission um, among the campers happening on the ground near Carla. Everybody started screaming. Two trucks had emerged from the forest. And Carla's prayers were answered. They were carrying her cousin, her brother, and her sister. I ran so fast. I ran so fast. And as soon as I got there, I hugged my sister. And I just kept telling her, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, baby. And all she said was, I wanted to stay with you. And I said, I know. Then... Carla looked down. She had like blisters 
on, on her arms and her hand and she had blisters on her legs and she was just shaking. She was shaking. They had literally outrun the flames till they reached the road and got picked up in these trucks. So Carla's sister was burned, her brother was burned, their cousin was burned. Uh, Their cousin actually also had broken bones because she'd been accidentally thrown from the truck that she was riding in. So Carla, she snaps into her big sister mode. She starts whipping out Gatorade and Pedialyte that she had stashed in the cooler in her truck. She also happened to have a bottle of painkillers that had been prescribed for her for a shoulder injury and she's passing those out. And then one camper turned out to be a nurse and she pulls out a first aid kit, sets up in a trailer and begins treating burns. So this this whole community is forming around, you know, survival and protecting each other up at the lake. And part of that effort of protecting each other was that folks on ATVs went to go find other campers, those missing hikers, and were able to bring them back to the lake where they were reunited with their families. But they still weren't totally safe, right? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, by this point, everyone is accounted for, but they are still trapped at the lake. But it's around this moment that around 100 miles away, the official rescue mission is finally taking off. By 7 p.m., Chief Joe and three crew members were in the air. They were in a Chinook, basically a flying tank with two massive rotors. And as they approached the fire, they linked up with a second helicopter, a Black Hawk out of Fresno. The sun was setting and the conditions were dismal. The visibility immediately dropped from clear when you're on one side of the fire to almost zero when you're on the inside of the fire. For a moment, I was like, oh man, this is really bad. But then they discovered the glowing remains of trees below them. I could see all these little pinpricks of of where the terrain would be based on that burning vegetation. And it was almost a relief. We're like, oh wait, we can actually see. The constellation of embers lit their way straight to the lake. Once there, it was the sound of the rotors that reached the campers first. Everybody was screaming. Everybody basically started cheering. And they started saying, turn on all the lights so they know that we're down here. Car headlights, flashlights, cell phones. I mean, anything. And just everyone was just screaming, yelling, honking. The Chinook landed first on the boat launch. They'd been told they were picking up around 30 people, maybe 30 families. Obviously, both were an undercount. The crews stuffed people in, burned victims first, then women and children. The Chinook left with 65 people, the Black Hawk with 15, and within an hour or two, they were all being triaged at Fresno Yosemite Airport. Around 10 p.m., the choppers landed a second time. The smoke was getting worse, so they made a decision. Load up. The crew piled in as many people as they could, in case they couldn't make it back again. It was only once Chief Joe started up the rotors and felt the sluggishness of the chopper that he realized just how full they were. It's designed for 33 people in seatbelts. And we took 102. It was standing room only, and the back ramp couldn't close. Crew members had stretched cargo straps across the open door to hold everyone inside. That was definitely a wide-eyed, white-knuckle, very, at that point, like I had run out of outs. At that point, we realized if something happens, if an engine quits, if, if something with the airframe fails, we don't have an out. 
Like we are going wherever gravity takes us. Were you scared for your life or for the lives of the people on that on that chopper? For for that twenty minute time span, yes, yeah. It, 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 there was no there was nothing for sure uh, in, in that twenty minutes. But they were successful and they made it to the airport, right, Carrie? Yes, absolutely. Both choppers each took three flights, and in total, they got everyone out, 242 people and 16 dogs. It took nearly 12 hours in total, and they weren't done. In the next days, they would actually airlift another 160 people to safety from other places in the Sierra Nevada. So when you talk to Chief Joe, how did he look back at this experience? He says this mission was really significant for him. It will forever stand out. And that's despite, you know, he's he's been in the National Guard for 24 years. He's flown combat missions in Kuwait, Iraq, and Afghanistan. But this was by far the most dangerous, most yeah, risky thing that I've ever gotten myself into. You know, one topic you explore in this podcast is really what it means to be a hero. There were just so many different kinds of heroes that weekend. You know, Chief Joe and the other pilots and crew, of course. Um, But everyone there had their own personal heroes as well. I mean, for Raul, he was really grateful for the other members of his off-roading club. You know, other campers, they credited Alex and Raul as heroes for being able to crowd so many people into their truck. And then, of course, there's Carla. You know, she's so grateful for the people who rushed into the forest for her family members and, of course, the nurse who took care of them. When we got to the hospital, they said, who did this? Because it's so good. Like, if they hadn't cleaned the wounds the way they did, they said it would have been a lot worse. They said that everybody would have had infections. What factors do you think came together to to save all of these folks? Well, obviously, the the National Guardsmen, they went above and beyond. But a lot of these people were just working together, especially when they got to the lake. Ironically, those low water levels at the lake, they protected everyone from the fire when it approached the tree line. Um, and then, of course, there were all those 911 calls that alerted authorities they were up there and, and really kickstarted this rescue mission. And actually, our, our latest podcast episode does feature some follow-ups with these survivors. And, you know, for let's take Carla. You know, she she talks about how this has been a really long and traumatic year for her family, especially for those who were injured. Her siblings and cousins are actually among um, 11 people who have sued Madera County for negligence and in not informing them that the fire was approaching. It's a very complicated lawsuit. Um, and so you can, you can get a lot more details about that from the podcast. You know, for Raul... For a while, he was having nightmares about people falling off of his truck while he was driving them to the lake. Alex says she has a lot more respect for fire. For those of us who do like to go camping in the Sierra, any other lessons we can take away from this? You know, one thing should be obvious already, but bring a first aid kit. And one really important thing I I think that most of us forget about is plan out your escape routes. Know where to go if there's an emergency and know where to meet up with your friends and family members in case you get separated. I'm not trying to terrify people, but I want people to understand some of the very real impacts of wildfire. 
Um, especially how, you know, as wildfire season becomes more intense, they get bigger and there are bigger acreages burning each year. This could put more camping and hiking in backcountry areas at risk. And I hope this reminds listeners, all of us, that people do still step up to help each other out in, you know, especially in stressful, intense situations. And there are so many ways that we can make positive changes for, for people in our lives. Carrie Klein is a reporter with KVPR, NPR for Central California, and the producer of the new podcast, Escape from Mammoth Pool. You can download it wherever you get your podcasts. We've also got a link at californiareport.org. It was originally edited by Alice Daniel with web support from Alex Burke. Engineering support from Don Weaver. The California Report magazine is a production of KQED Public Radio in San Francisco. Our senior editor is Victoria Mauleon, and our show editor this week is Lisa Morehouse. Our director this week is Amanda Font, and our sound engineer is Brendan Willard. Our team also includes Susie Racho, Hector Arzate, and Haley Gray. I'm Sasha Coca. This is the California Report magazine. Your state, your stories. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio. It was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support.